Hello, and welcome to Deprogram with Carrie Smith. This is still a relatively new channel, so if you got here through the algorithm, please consider hitting like and subscribe. I am very excited about my guest today. This is someone I've been wanting to talk to for a while. I'm so grateful that he was patient with me, and um, you guys are going to, most of you are going to recognize him. I'm going to be talking to Chris Gore, who is the publisher of FilmThreat.com and the host of Film Threat Podcast. He's the author of several books, most notably The Ultimate Film Festival Survival Guide. He's also a filmmaker and TV producer, having written and produced My Big Fat Independent Movie. He's also appeared as a film expert on lots of television shows. He used to be a regular on G4 TV's Attack of the Show. Please welcome Chris Gore. Carrie, oh, oh, it's it's such a pleasure to uh, be on here because I watch you, and I think you do amazing oh. interviews. And Thank you. That's you. flattering. <laughs> and you're so great on FNT. Uh, uh, love it when you turn up there. I have such fun with those guys. That's like, mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, when I go on interviews, it's a lot of talking about my old belief system, social justice, which I, mm -hmm. I love doing. I think it's very important. That's why I do this show. But uh, it's nice to be on a show where you're, you're kind of, you're talking about that, but it's in a tangential way. You're having fun with these topics and you are kind of crit critiquing woke, but it's just, oh, it's just fun. Anyway, I know, <laughs> I know that you have fun with those guys too. Love it. Yeah. I've appeared as well, but we've never been on uh, FNT at the same time. So one day the stars will align. I think. I think so fun. too. Yeah. So yes. one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you specifically is because of all of your work in film and entertainment and Mm -hmm. sometimes when people ask me about, you know, what is your podcast about? What's deprogrammed about? And if they haven't seen it before, I, I'll tell them, well, some people might call it a political podcast, but it's not really, I don't really, I mean, I'll talk about politics if it comes up, if it's in the news, but my focus is really on culture and about ideology and culture. And I think when ideas and belief systems spread, they usually, I think they tend to start uh, culturally before they have any political impact. And so culture is where it's at. It's what's important to me. And you work in culture, you work in film. And so uh, why don't you start off by telling our audience just a little bit more about your background? I read some of your bio, but who is Chris Gore? Why did you start working in this field? Well, uh, <laughs> I became a film fanatic, uh, very passionate about movies since I was a kid. I think that every one of us, every person has an epiphany movie. It's a movie that you see that makes you fall in love with movies mm. and you realize the power of cinema to change the way you think about things. I think it's the most powerful form of propaganda because you're in a darkened room with a bunch of people all reacting at once. So for some people, it was a movie like Gone with the Wind or mm. West Side Story, maybe when they uh, were younger or it could be Ghostbusters. It doesn't matter what the movie is. It's a movie that you realize the power of cinema for me and I'm not unique in this. It was star Wars. I saw star Wars and that kind of blew my mind. Um, and that made me want to find out about the behind the scenes of films. But the thing that really kind of freaked me out as a kid was um, this is going to sound very strange. Okay? okay. I have vivid memories of myself as a kid, but I didn't like movies initially. I thought they were stupid because oh. Now imagine this is like single digit age version of me thinking I would, we would watch movies with my family because watching movies was a, 
a, a family experience, you'd gather around like Gone with the Wind is tonight. It's a two night experience or West Side Story or whatever the film was. It was a big deal. Ten Commandments. You'd sit around. And the thing that bothered me was I'm a little kid. Remember, no one ever went to the bathroom in movies. <laughs> Wait, you don't mean the people watching it. You mean the people in the movie, the characters. People in the movie, the characters were like, never went to the bathroom. Like, how can this, how can what's happening on the TV be real if none of the characters eat or go to the bathroom? Uh, can, let me just interrupt for a second. That's kind of like how in movies, none of the characters ever say goodbye when they're hanging up the phone. Right. Yeah. There's all <laughs> sorts of those weird movie tropes, but this is one that's like, okay, like people never go to the bathroom in movies. Now I'm a little kid. My family thought this was hilarious, right? Like, <laughs> haha, very funny. My dad then took me to a retrospective screening of the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, directed by Stanley Kubrick. And in the film, one of the characters goes to the bathroom and it freaked <laughs> It freaked me out because then I thought, well, this movie must be real because characters do, you know, simple human things. And then, yeah. of course, um, Nicole Kidman later on in Eyes Wide Shut uh, takes a tinkle right in front of her husband, uh, played by Tom Cruise. So and, and there's whole websites now dedicated to when people go to the bathroom in movies. And you'll never guess the actor that has gone to the bathroom more in films than any other actor. And you'll never guess. Jim Carrey. Tom Hanks. Tom <laughs> Hanks. I've Tom. I, I, okay. I, this is all documented. This is there are whole websites dedicated to characters going going to the bathroom. <laughs> Tom Hanks um, in the Green Mile. It's it's a story plot because he has a urinary tract infection. Um, in Forrest Gump, he says, "I got to pee." In 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 so many of his movies, I feel like if you want to cast Tom Tom Hanks in your film. Just write a scene where the character goes to the bathroom because he <laughs> tends to like that. It, it's odd. And, and and Castaway, he goes to the bathroom on the plane during the... Seriously, no, you start to notice these things. If, you, if you've been around as long as I have, you notice trends, not just in politics, media, whatever, but in movies for sure. And that blew my mind as a kid. Of course, became a Kubrick fan. And then just Star Wars kind of like took me over the edge. And I was just like, I want to be a part of film in whatever way. And uh, and so there you go. That's sort of the beginnings, at least. That's a little little version of me. So. How old were you when you saw Star Wars? Oh God, I was eleven. I was well, eleven okay. years old. Eleven, twelve years old, right around. It was nineteen seventy-seven. I was born in sixty-five, which is why I'm I'm older than Gary Beekler. I'm neurotic. So there you go. I'm, I'm the ancient <laughs> one. But my, you know, I had like very cool parents where they were very much encouraged me to like, don't go see the mainstream movies. Like I grew to really despise John Hughes movies because I never related to those kids. Those were rich white kids from the Chicago suburbs. And I was, because my parents uh, separated and divorced when I was like nine years old, I was low, white, lower class kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like always worked a job, always had like a newspaper out. I worked restaurants when I was 14. I just, I did, I worked at a video store when I was 16. I always had work had to work to be able to get what I wanted. I think that I could look back and say, oh, that was so like, no, it was the best thing ever was having that experience because I I, I see these, I, I this is going to sound, I see a lot of people today that make excuses for why they, they can't achieve mm -hmm. or, you know, I haven't, this thing hasn't happened. It's like, no, you hire yourself. You choose to, when I look at the projects that I've done, whether it's a book project or a, a film project or whatever, nobody ever hired me. It was always like, 
I just decided to do it. And I made a list of all the steps to do it. And I've written several books. And um, in fact, I'll give a little offer to mm -hmm. your viewers right now. Um, I, when I wrote my first book, I would get on the phone. My friends would say, well, how did you do it? And I'd have a two hour long conversation explaining mm -hmm. how I wrote this book. And then I thought, well, I'm tired of having these conversations. So I wrote this essay, it's about 10 pages, like a pamphlet effectively, that mm -hmm. just tells you steps of how to write a book. It's not even it's not even worth a book on how to write a book. So if you go to filmthreat.com slash contact, you message me, I'll send you a PDF of that essay. Okay. And, and it'll just tell you how to write a book. If you basically, if you write 500 words every day for 60 days or so, you'll have around between 500 and a thousand words you'll have a book. Average book is between 50 and 60,000 words. It's actually very easy. And that sort of helped establish some sort of credibility having written several books. Yeah. So. so you're a creator. You're you're an entrepreneur. You're someone who's, like you said, you're not waiting for someone to give you a job somewhere. You have a vision and you, you go for it. You have a goal and you set it and you take the steps to get there. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's weird. I even like, um, odd story. I, I'm a college dropout. <clears throat> and what what I did was is when my mother took us on this like sort of very life-altering trip to visit my uncle um, in California, because I'm originally from Michigan, uh, around the Detroit area, Royal Oak. And we went, we went on this trip and I said to my mom, we did all the touristy things. I said, I want to go to one place. I want to go to one place. I want to want to go to the campus of USC because that's where George Lucas went to that school. And I was an admirer of George Lucas. And I went in the bookstore on the campus of USC and I bought all the books I could afford as part of the film studies program. And then the books I couldn't buy and stuff in my, in my luggage, I wrote down the names of the titles and the authors of those books. Mm -hmm. And then I made a list and I brought it to my film class at Wayne State University, which is a commuter school. And I said, look, if we can't get the same education as these rich assholes going to USC, then we can at least read the same books as, as as them. So years later, I wrote this book called The Ultimate Film Festival Survival Guide, which doesn't tell you anything about how to make a movie, but it does tell you how to get your movie into a film festival, how, how to sell it to a distributor, how to get a publicist, all these business things. It's all about the business side of the brain. What a think, great practical book. Yeah, it's well, it's it's to me, to be a successful artist, I feel like you need to balance the two sides of your brain. What is the creative side in this and we're going to do that and the other one is the sort of more logical side of like no let's be business minded let's just mm -hmm. you know let's keep working at the bank we'll continue this book and there you have kafka so um anyways um but it, it's it's uh i so i then years later i wrote this book and it became required reading as part of independent film studies so i've done speaking engagements at like wow. afi at usc and i always tell this story i'm like I didn't pay for the education you're paying for now or your parents are paying for, but I read all the same books and now you have to buy my book and I'm a college dropout. So what does that tell you? You yeah. know, you um, can do it yourself. You can do it yourself. Quentin Tarantino dropped out of school in the eighth grade and Paul Thomas Anderson basically said, look, just listen to DVD commentaries or laser disc commentaries at the time when, when he was coming up. So I do think, now I don't think that perhaps for the medical field, you should, you should necessarily go rogue like that. <laughs> I think you need some practical experience if you're going to be right. a brain surgeon. But when it comes to uh, liberal arts, which, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know. Does anyone do a liberal arts program now? I just see, I see what college has become 
and I think I dodged a bullet. It's mm -hmm. really become indoctrination factories and how to be a good worker, except they have ill-prepared these students by not giving them the actual skills that yeah. they would benefit from in the marketplace. And so they've created um, useless positions that yes. don't make sense. Were you so, one of these people who thought, I, I used to have uh, maybe four, four years ago or so when I first started waking up from this belief system I'd been in for 20 years, social justice, I started criticizing it online or, or talking, trying to have conversations about it. And I encountered some of my friends, some of my liberal friends who were saying, well, I, I do see this ideology as a problem, but it, this kind of indoctrination, it, it's just contained to college campuses. It's you're making a big deal out of it. It's just on college campuses. And these people who are learning all this at college, they're not going to be able to survive in the real world. Um, which has proven to be false because as you said, they're creating these useless right. positions for them. Were you someone who believed that, that it, that it maybe wouldn't escape college campuses and that it, those people, these people who are being indoctrinated in these, these factory schools that they, they wouldn't have any influence or they wouldn't be able to survive. Did you ever believe that? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't think it would make it out into the, into the real world at all. And, and before I, I want to elaborate on that, but I want to say, Carrie, you need to write a book. You should write a book because I think what it would do is um, one, you could self-publish and, and make a decent amount of money on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that your story, I've, I've heard it on different types of podcasts. Whenever you tell it, I feel like there's, it's such a big topic and it is relatable to so many people. I would just encourage you to write, to write a book. And if I can help support well, you. In thank way in you. That. You should do Thank that. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. And I, th I think it also puts you on another level when you're a published author, right? Whether you publish it through a, a major publisher and you certainly could do that or, you know, self-publish. Um, look at look at how many have distinguished themselves by that. And I think that you're in that in that class. You really need to do it. Deprogram would be a great name for a book, I think. Thank you um, very much. I, I'll talk to you about this offline. My biggest okay, thing good. with we'll writing, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you about it okay. later. Okay, go ahead. But but when I was, in, <laughs> I always, I mean, look, I'm Gen X, right? So I grew up like because my parents got divorced when I was young, and then I, if I wanted anything, I was really taught the work ethic. My grandparents were kind of my surrogate parents, and they grew up during the Depression uh, era. So and they're both immigrants, Russian and Polish, and came over here, and you know, um, basically taught me good values, work values, real simple. You want something, you work for it. You know, so I had like three newspaper routes and had multiple jobs, but I was a, I had money. I could buy comic books and, you know, video games. And I had a TV in my room and a VCR when I was a kid, you know, because why? Because I worked for it worked and for learning it. that I never forgot those lessons. If I wanted something, work for it, nothing was handed to me. And it's why I, you know, dropped out of college because my parents were kind of arguing back and forth between like, who's going to pay for school. And I was like, I'm just in the middle here. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I made a choice of like, okay, I can spend money on school or I could put it towards this little zine that I created called film threat, which I'll put a pin in that and get back to it later. But because I'm Gen X, I grew up with question everything, question mm -hmm. everything. I don't take anything at face value. I don't take politicians who I think we revere far too greatly. Yes. I think politicians are snake oil salesmen at best. And the book Dune is the thing that really changed my life when I read it when I was 14, because people misinterpret what that book is about. 
Frank Herbert wrote it effectively about uh, the danger of charismatic leaders. He despised JFK because JFK got us involved in Vietnam. So, but he actually liked Frank Herbert, the author of Dune, actually liked Nixon because he said, well, that guy's just an asshole on the surface. Uh right? like, we know who he is. Like he's right there. He's not trying to pretend to be something else. That guy is an, an asshole. And, and JFK is like this good looking, chiseled jawed, beautiful wife, beautiful family. Like he seduced the American public into doing things that we should not have gotten involved in. And it's hard not to draw comparisons between right. those two and Obama and Trump. I was right. someone who was seduced by Obama twice. He's very charismatic, you know. He's the president they say you want to have a beer with, and that was true. Right. Yeah, and well, George Trump Bush is too. just an asshole. Right, <laughs> right. But, you know, there's truth in when you listen, when you sort of just like take out the emotion, which the mainstream media riled everyone up about Trump and just listen to the actual things he's saying. I mean, even the thing about bleach, I read like that kind of planted that as a thing. Well, that's how, I don't even know if we should, go down this road, but that's how India, basically the, uh, it did, things didn't spread in India because what they would do is take a drop of bleach, literally a drop and put it in a full bottle of water to gargle with. And that's how oh. things didn't escalate to a large degree in, in India, right? Mm -hmm. A less developed country than, than ours. So, um, but, but the, the whole theme of Herbert's book with Paul Atreides, he's this charismatic leader that gets everyone involved in a, in a galactic wide jihad. And, and we should not trust leaders who are charismatic. And, and that book kind of changed my life at the age of 14. And I read it like every summer. And then I read like up until like God Emperor of Dune, which was around at the time. And then I saw the Dune movie and the Dune movie was such a colossal disappointment because I love David Lynch as a filmmaker. I like me too. Any, yeah, just like to me, I'm always attracted to counterculture anything, whether mm -hmm. it's music, whether it's books, whether it's comic books, um, you know, whatever it is, movies, anything counterculture is something that I naturally gr have gravitated to since I was a kid because I never related to those John Hughes movies. I wondered, I never knew, and this is a weird thing, but I never knew. I was poor as a kid because I feel like if you're loved, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. If, you, if you're loved as a, as a child, that doesn't matter. But when I went, it's like, oh, I want to, the kids are all in the ski club or going skiing. Can I do that? And I didn't have the money. My family didn't have the money. It's like, no, we don't have money for ski club. You know what it costs to get the skis and this and the travel and like, oh, I didn't realize that it's like, oh, I got to work for things that I want. Right. Yeah. Um, and so and I didn't you're, relate. You're reminding me of Dolly Parton. Where she talks oh. about her coat of many colors, which she turned into a song, but it was, it was about her mom. I mean, and, and they were dirt poor and mm -hmm. she had lots of siblings and her mom would take hand-me-down clothes from other people. And she made her this patchwork coat out of lots of different scraps. And Dolly wow. talks about it and says, you know, she loved it. Her mother loved her. And this is this beautiful coat that she made. And it wasn't until she wore it to school and everyone made fun of her for wearing rags that she realized that she was poor but she didn't feel poor. Yeah. I didn't yeah. feel poor. I didn't know. It wasn't until high school that it hit me like, Oh, these other kids can do things I can't do. And my family can't afford, but it didn't matter to me. I, you know, like, I think it was also a different era. I had like two pairs of pants and maybe five, six t-shirts that last me the week. Right. And it's like, that was fine. You know, mm -hmm. I had patches on my pants when there was a hole and then I grew out of it, new pair of pants. Right. Like that's, mm -hmm. 
what I'm getting for my birthday. And, but it was a different time. It was also like not a time where um, I remember going out to eat maybe a couple times a year and fast food was a treat if we ever got it, you know? And, it, and so now I think that like we've been conditioned to just eat out too much or, you know, I'll cringe at my friends whose kids will order $30 from Starbucks from DoorDash. And I'm like, you know, you can make coffee at home. There are many brands of coffee, coffee, keep grind coffee and coffee brand yeah. coffee. I'm giving plugs to other YouTubers. Um, keep grind. Yeah. yeah. There you go. But like, but no, it just, it was a time where just like you did things yourself. And every time we would go out to eat, my grandmother would say, I can make a better chicken than this. This is terrible. I can make better food. Let me make you. And she would make, and they also taught me things like, um, they had a huge backyard. We would go and we'd pick apples. We, they would go into these places. They'd weigh your baskets. Then you'd go in and you would pick apples and raspberries and this, and she would just make homemade stuff, put it in the pantry and that was it. Like going to the grocery store was like, well, we have to settle for this stuff. It's like, no, we make stuff at home. So I'm very much learned at an early age. Look, everything is DIY. How do you do it that way? Um, and that would apply to anything that I would do, a creative project or, you know, even the beginnings of Film Threat, which was very handmade and, and just learning how to do a book, like writing a book and learning how to do a book or making a film, you know, making mm -hmm. a feature film and then appearing on television, doing other things, I fell into those things. It's like just having this spirit, like most of the projects, I've never had a job where I didn't also have a side project, always, never not. Mm -hmm. So I, um, God, I've- oh, I, You can know. So you were talking about Dune, you were talking about charismatic leaders uh -huh. and why we shouldn't trust them. And then- I, you you said you were going to come back to put a pen in starting film threat. Yeah, I'll come back. Would you to want to? Okay, but I'll but like truthfully, like it's just question everything was just like part of my mantra it was the music I listened to was question everything, you know, listened to everything from like the Dead Kennedys to Black Flag to, I mean, a lot of punk rock. So I grew up during the punk rock era, right? Like the Sex Pistols, Malcolm McLaren, who you know just learned ways to manipulate the media to build up this band the Sex Pistols who are legendary. Um, I'm curious to see that new series on Hulu about the Sex Pistols. But like that was just sort of like ingrained in everything. And so then alternative media, whether it was like zines, zines were a big thing. This was alternative mm -hmm. press. I remember zines. Can I ask you, why do you think mm -hmm. that, because I'm on the tail end of Gen X also, mm -hmm. and it seems like, it seems like a lot of people who used to live by live and die by question everything, question authority with this new cultural revolution that's unfolding or whatever you want to call it. That's happening the past few years. A lot of those people are now fully on board with trust the government, trust the mainstream media, trust, you know, do whatever they say, cool with authoritarianism. What happened? Uh, I, I think I think that the mainstream media not it's not as if they haven't always been like this. Now they're just doing it right in front of our face, where things stories can be debunked that are on, um, you know, that are on the mainstream media that your CNNs, your MSNBC, and even your Fox. Like, and I, I began to notice. Um, well, I mean, this is the, I believe this stuff has always been here, and we used to call it when I was in college. We used to call it just become aware. We didn't call it woke. We called it become aware. But, you know, it was a different kind of thing. It was just, just be aware so it doesn't affect you. Just be aware that advertising is trying to sell you something. It could be a lie. Just be aware that the news 
could be lying to you. Check your sources. Just And that was just sort of ingrained in what I thought. What's new is with the, the woke ideologies trying to shut things down. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a fan of, uh, let's say I'm not a fan of country music. I actually, I actually do like country music now is rock I, and roll. Yeah. Country music is rock and roll now. But like, let's say you're not a fan of like a certain thing. The new thing is to try to shut that thing down. Even if people are enjoying that thing, that is new and that is surprising. And they're just falling in line and doing whatever the government says. I'm just kind of shocked we're here. And it's it's the, it's the nanny state. It's basically, um, I call it like children in adult-sized bodies. These are children, especially when you deal with anyone in their 20s. Luckily, I have two kids that are in their late 20s. I had kids when I was young and... Uh, they missed everything. You know, they missed social media. They didn't have smartphones, you know, at a time where it may have affected them. And they're both like, uh, they're both well-adjusted adults who don't care so much about Congratulations. social media. Congratulations. Ca- <laughs> my, my son is a U.S. Marine and my daughter's an independent artist that has an Etsy business. And, and they avoided everything. I think they're more based than I am. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> my daughter wouldn't go see the new Lightyear movie. Uh, Cause Tim Allen wasn't in it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go see it. So um, she's like, I refuse to see it. I refuse. <laughs> light year. I'm like, all right. Cause my daughter and I, we go see a movie once a week together. We have dinner and see a movie and, and then we talk about it. You know, what a great tradition. Well, cause it's movies are a gateway to talk about anything. Right. I mean, Roger Ebert famously said this. It's, you can talk about life, love, loss, death, family, sex, politics, anything we discuss in life is touched upon in movies, you know, to varying degrees. Um, and, and so I find it fascinating, like this movie RRR, this Indian movie, which is on Netflix currently, which I strongly recommend that you see. RRR is an Indian movie directed by SS Rajamuli. Uh, it's about two historical figures from 1920, uh, you know, British occupied India. And they are real revolutionaries, Ram and Beam. And it's fiction. They, it fictionalizes what if these two met and teamed up during the revolution? Because India was not united as a country. India was just separate tribes. The British colonials came in and occupied and uh, occupied this space. What's interesting is, I've seen this movie four times in the theater. I took my daughter to see it. What's interesting is hipsters that are definitely... They have a woke look, is all I'm going to say. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. there's like, you know, there's a, there's the a, there's uniform. a look. That, yeah, the uniform. And I'm like, even when I was into punk rock, I was just sort of like, I dress pretty average. Like fashion is not really a thing that I want to occupy time with me. I, If anything, I would be like Jeff Goldblum's character in The Fly and just have like a bunch of the same clothes because that I don't have to use brain power. <laughs> you know who else does that? Clothing. Ernest P. Who? World. Do you remember him? I used to watch oh, those yeah. movies when I was a kid. Ernest oh my God, world. I love those. <laughs> yes, like just wear the same thing that I don't have to think about it. But and, and what's interesting is, is that this movie on the one end, it's it, it feels like this movie is very woke. Right. From the standpoint of, yes, it's, you know, the, the, the white man is the bad guy. The British colonials are evil. And they are like Governor Scott, who's played by Ray Stevenson in the movie, is just vile villain. He's awesome. Um, and and it's all about pushing out the it's it's, it's anti colonialism. At the same time, the movie is incredibly pro two A, because the Indian 
the characters realize, you know, if we had guns, we could drive them out. And it's all about respect for your gun and your weapon. And there's a whole subplot about trying to get guns so they can push out the invaders and they sort of fetishize over the guns. So this movie is on vastly opposite sides of the political spectrum, depending, it's a Rorschach test, depending on, you know, who is watching the movie. It's also a wildly entertaining Hollywood film that has romance and humor and friendship and action. It's also very testosterone driven. Like the men in the movie are very, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you later the trailer to this film. It's a very okay. masculine movie. And I think what Hollywood has forgotten is that who's attracted to intense masculinity is well, men like that and women like that too. Hence the rise of Marvel movies. You know, it's, it's a trope that, every Marvel male character must go shirtless in the movie at some point, mm -hmm. every single character. So um, I, 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 I can't, I cannot rave about that movie enough. It's on my top 10 list of films for the year. And um, oh, awesome. I just strongly, strongly recommend you see it and you can enjoy it for what it is. It's a incredibly entertaining three hour Hollywood. It's not a Bollywood film. It's a Hollywood, even though there are a couple of musical numbers in it, but they're, part of the story did you say uh, tollywood with a t tollywood yeah what's interesting in in the united states is we have one film industry this is how we're able this comes back to the you know the narrative right controlling the narrative right mm -hmm. we have a dominant media right that is mm -hmm. very left-wing and then we have hollywood which is mainly driven by the same type of politics we have only one film industry and then we have independent film which indie indie films are my passion my my show Film Threat, even though we talk about the latest mainstream Hollywood movies that are released, whatever, Thor, name it, we'll talk about it. I always recommend independent films because independent films and independent voices is really where you can express yourself, right? But I've, America, got one, you know, I've got one for you. Let's hear it. Just Please, as I said, uh, my friend Fabio, he, he just did uh, his film My Dead Dad. He just played the Austin Film Festival last year. And now it's oh, on wow. HBO. It's a oh, great wow. little independent film. I'll recommend it for anyone. I love this guy. He's great. And anyway, there's, there's one for you. Well, HBO Max has actually been aggressive about acquiring independent films. So um, that's great to hear. My dead dad. All right. That's on my, that's great. First of all, I rarely get recommendations. This is great. Okay. I love <laughs> so, but you, you love independent film, which that resonates with me. I worked in one of my first, uh, uh, job when I was at college, one of the jobs I worked was at an independent video store, and it was just like, it was just like every movie representation of an independent video store. It's this great cast of people. I think of them as a cast that I worked with, just just characters, and um, and we had just an incredible because it wasn't a blockbuster or anything. You know, we had just a really incredible library of independent film, and um, so that resonates with me. It's just that what's great about independent film is that um, it, it sort of diverts from the the message that most mainstream Hollywood movies are pushing. So I'm all about like, like I say, alt culture, anything is kind of what I'm attracted to. So naturally indie films. So um, but but in India, they have two competing industries. They have Bollywood and Tollywood. Okay. And they and that competition makes, I believe, makes those movies better. There's been a whole 
like wave of indie film Indian films that are being released actually theatrically in limited release in the United States. Another one I would recommend is KGF chapter one and chapter two, both of which are on prime video right now you can check out. But, but what I always observed in indie film is indie film was a way for alternative messages to get out there. And a lot of woke ideas were woven into indie films, mainstream movies in the eighties and, you know, the seventies, eighties, nineties, like we're just kind of mainstream movies were pushing sort of one thing. If there was any sort of, alternate ideas it was beneath the surface um but can i can i ask you what is tollywood sure. i know ball i know what bollywood films are what what are tollywood films tollywood are mo movies that are the language there are several languages in india and one is telugu so there's hindi and telugu are the two main ones and uh so it's just a different they're they're actually in physical different locations so they just say well these are bollywood movies because they're and these are tollywood so they're like okay but, but it's a friendly competition, right? And I think that that competition makes it better. If there was like a Hollywood, you know, there's Hollywood, California, but if there was another full film industry that was different, I mean, Daily Wire is in effect trying to create something that. like that. They're trying to do it, which are, I mean, effectively they picked up some amazing independent films, the stuff that they produced are either directly or picked up. The movie Shut In was actually a script that was on the, the blacklist, female screenwriter, who wrote that movie and the blacklist is a list that is put out by um, started by a guy who was like an assistant mm -hmm. and you can look up the Ted talk he gave. And it was all these really cool indie film, indie films that were not getting greenlit, you know, all these smaller scripts. And so uh, they put together a list of like, these are recommended scripts that they've been around for years. No one will make them because there's something dangerous about it or whatever. And shut in was on that list. And we got film threat got, we got a lot of flack just for covering movies the Daily Wire puts out. And I feel like I'm not doing my job if I don't cover those movies because they're legitimately released into the yeah. commercial marketplace. Why is it? It's weird. It's weird. What kind of flack are you getting? Because because I think online. they're they're trying to just uh, um, memory hole. Like they don't want the mainstream doesn't even want to cover. They want to pretend like Daily Wire is not doing film. Is that well, is that really? Yes, they are. It's stupid. I saw Matt Matt Walsh did a whole thing about these critics who were, uh, you know, asked, you want to review, you know, what is a woman? We'll send you a, a link to this movie. And they, he, I mean, they sent back like messages saying, take me off your list, screw you, you know, whatever. And he read that and he was talking about how critics are cowardly. And I can attest to the fact that a lot of them are. They review the movies that mainstream Hollywood puts out and there is a uh, there's basically sort of a general consensus among critics about what we're going to think about something and it's not as if like my opinion doesn't always align with like okay that was that was a great movie whatever it is Top Gun Maverick which I happen to really enjoy um, but I tend to sort of break with the with that uh, it's interesting Richard Linklater who I think lives in the same place you do in Austin yeah, Texas in Austin probably one of my all-time favorite filmmakers, Slacker, the 1991 movie Slacker, just blew my mind. I love that movie. It's a love letter to Austin, Texas. If you have never seen Slacker, you've never seen Slacker? Me? I don't think I've seen it. I know the name. Seen that movie. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. But he, um, he, I had a conversation with him once he was talking about reviews and like, does he pay attention to them? And he says, he'll read them and he says, generally, if someone likes the movie, they critics opinions tend to just blend they just sort of 
all sound the same, but he really pays attention to the, the critics that get a little bit more critical, a little more negative. He says, sometimes it's a reflection of that person, but it's the only way he's able to learn something. Mm. And I think that's a very important point. Um, you know, I have, I'm, I'm not particularly religious, but I have friends who are religious. And what bothers me about Hollywood is I think there, there is a, an actual intention to suppress religious voices in mainstream entertainment. Yeah. You know, it's almost like laughed upon it to me. Like, you know, I have members of my family who are religious who go to church every week. I'm not going to tell them they're wrong about yeah. something. You, belief is part of that. But one of the interesting conversations I, I got into with my friends who are religious is why does God, if God is all knowing, can do anything, why does, why does God in infinite wisdom allow pain? Mm -hmm. And, and my response to that is pain is how we learn. Yes. Pain is pain is how we learn something. If you know, don't touch a hot stove. Yes. Don't be involved with toxic people in a relationship. That is also yes. a type of pain. Don't tolerate a work situation that may, you know, compromise your mental and physical health. That is pain. Pain yes. is this thing of like, you know, this is how we learn. And, and, and there's so a, there's a whole, um, um, there's a whole chapter, Hebrews 12, uh, mm -hmm. in the Bible, which is about spiritual endurance. But in the chapter, it's sort of compared to physical endurance, like exercise, discipline, like uh, physical discipline. Mm -hmm. And it and it's really about enduring what it, what it calls discipline from God, which I think is about what you're talking about. I interpret that as being right. about pain. And they say, you know, there's no, I think there's one verse in there that's like, um, discipline is not pleasurable. <laughs> but- yeah but it leads you to something good just like physical discipline exercising every day sucks pushing yourself sucks but you get to this place where then you can do the marathon um right. and i think it's sort of similar spiritually i hear what you're saying yeah it's 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 i think that's so important i think that what's led to this current generation of um we not just weak-willed uh you know children in adult-sized bodies weak leadership when you look at weak leadership, not saying, no, this is our mission. You know, I, I almost jokingly tweeted out, um, Cinnabon, oddly quiet on Roe v. Wade. Um, <laughs> it's not, I, 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 have, I can't tell you how many things I have in my drafts where I'm like, I don't want the hassle. So I tweet maybe a couple times a month. Please but, tweet that so I can retweet it. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, funny, I retweet it and then I realize Cinnabon is following me on Twitter. And I don't know why. But I, you know, but like the whole thing oh, is like. What, you might lose that follow. I'm oh, sorry. But what's our purpose, right? Like the purpose of Cinnabon is to make delicious buns, not right. to have political opinions. Right. The same thing with Disney. The same thing with Disney. You know, this movie, this recent Lightyear movie about Buzz Lightyear failed because there was this video that came out of the not so secret agenda. Right. And I have kids and I, my whole thing was to protect them from what I observed was rampant, awful parenting in Los Angeles, rampant. Mm. And, and, and I'll tell you this, um, you know, for those either aspiring parents or parents, in the audience with young kids, you don't negotiate with parents or children. I gave my kids limited choices, right? Your choice are chicken fingers or pizza, which do you want? Uh, for dessert, we're having pineapple. We're not having cake or pie, right? Or anything sweet. So, unfortunately, my kids are both healthy, you know, uh, 
normal sized bodies. They haven't dealt with any of those kinds of issues. Fortunately, like they just, they ate well. And I, I was, I was tough on them, but one of the worst things that I've seen this countless times in, in LA, a three-year-old pulling on a mother or father's arm and the mother or father going, I don't know, what do you want to do? Which is the last thing you want to say. Children need guidelines. They need guidance. And what what's cost us is by trying to protect children from pain, giving them particip participation trophies so they don't feel bad, trying to protect them from things that they need to power through, we, we've created this weak, weak generation that is incapable of doing anything other than complaining quite well online. They're very good at that. Yeah. Um, I tend to ignore it. So like when I got pushback for just talking about what is a woman, we reviewed it on the website. I think we're one of two Rotten Tomato reviews from filmthreat.com. Wow. It was written, written by uh, Dante James, a writer who writes for Film Threat. He was like, I want to write about this issue. Um, so he wrote the, and it's a very fair review of the movie. Um, which I saw as well. Then we did a review on, 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 you know, our YouTube channel, but it, it like, we got pushback from people like, how dare you? One guy criticized us for like, how could we had this conversation? It was like, how could three sit? I know I can't stand the words that are used by, um, the woke. So I just don't yeah, use them. Well, it's cult lexicon. That's why it's yeah. cult language. I don't use it. That, that whole cis gender term is stupid. And anyone who ever uses it in a serious sense, I can't take the, I, I can't take them seriously. But the one thing that bothered me was there was this criticism, like how could it was like basically three straight guys talking about this movie. Well, two of the men in the conversation, my colleague, Alan Ng, um, we're both parents, you know, and his daughter is 13 in school right now battling this. Yeah. you know, uh, battling against this, all these things being pushed upon them. But pain is how we learn. It's important to allow children to feel pain. Like, nope, that's the way it is. And I feel like it's this, when I look at like the current leadership at a lot of these corporations, like, where's your backbone? You know, Disney, you're a company that makes stuff for families and children. Make that, you know? And this this subplot, which is completely innocuous to me, I'm watching and it's like, oh, there's a Female, female. So, so this is also the fourth Pixar movie with two female couple in a relationship. Right? Which movie is this? Lightyear. So Lightyear has Lightyear? this scene okay. too. It's 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 not part of it's not a, a significant part of the story. If you cut it out, it's irrelevant. But they really pushed for that. Yeah. You don't need it. It comes out of nowhere. And 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 I, you it, know like, because you work in this industry you know yeah. that there are people there whose job it is to push for this kind of quote unquote representation on exactly. screen. Well look, I've been since I've been going to film festivals and covered indie film, the kind of all the wokeness that you're talking about, that was woven into all like I'm used to it. Like I was like a frog in a frying pan in the sense that like Everything is like, I mean, Star Trek was very progressive. It just was, but it didn't advertise that it was. It just was. And in fact, many of the aspects of it, fun fact, um, the original Star Trek series was has been criticized because, oh, the women in there wear mini skirts. But by the way, at the time, Nichelle Nichols and the other, Nichelle Nichols played Uhura in the original mm -hmm. Star Trek series. Um the mini skirt in the 60s was a symbol of women saying, F you, it's my body. This is, I'm going to, we're going to wear mini skirts. It was, it was a sign of uh, resistance and rebellion. And originally in the original Star Trek pilot, all the women wore pants 
And then the female cast, when it went to the series, including Nichelle Nichols, they all came out in skirts and said, we want to wear this. So it's just so funny how like changing mores, like, like change, you know, like that's, that was a thing anyways. Like back then that was them being feminist, right? They were like, exactly. Women's right to wear mini skirts. Exactly. But, but, um, you know, all, a lot of the movies and things that I covered in the eighties, nineties, whatever, I mean, it's always been there, but it's been a limited audience, right? Like if you're seeing a lot, a lot of the, the, the politics, the, the things that are discussed, and I like, I like any movie piece of content that challenges my beliefs. I like the conversation. I'm still going to be, and I, I'm very based. I, I don't consider myself uh, left or right. I'm mm-hmm. perfectly balanced. Yes. I don't, I'm not, I'm not signed up for any team yes. okay, or to be the mayor of my town here in lovely Pasadena, California, which is a very much, very much like I, I grew up in the Midwest, but uh, you know, like I, 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 so all of that has been in indie film, but it's a limited audience, right? So now what we're seeing is these ideas that were in movies that were made to open in two theaters and probably sell 10,000 DVDs are now leaking their way into mainstream entertainment where it just seems out of place, right? It's yeah. just, and it's being pushed. So I've seen that that's been around, a, all of these ideas have been around a very long time, a very mm-hmm. long time. Since I was in college in, in the 80s, these ideas existed. What's new is two things. One, cancel culture, which is the result of the rise of social media mm-hmm. and reputation destruction which is a tool of mostly, and I'm going to sound sexist for a minute, but bear with me. Yeah. When it comes to conflict, men are more physical. It just is what it is. We have fists. We're more physical. You're at a bar. Guy bumps in you in the bar, shoulder bump, whether on purpose or not. You look at each other. There's always the threat of physical violence. Anytime I've been in a very, I can count them on one hand, few number of fights in my life. And normally what happens is after you're done with it, you end up becoming friends. It's weird. It's weird. It's a guy thing, right? I've I've noticed this. Yeah. Yes. With women, it's mostly the tool is reputation destruction, mm-hmm. which is to me, you know, embodied or personified in someone like a Taylor Lorenz. She's yes. all about reputation destruction. And that is a tool for the most part that women tend to use, whereas men, it's all about physical violence, which creates this somewhat respect, which is like, we could get in a fight. Maybe you could take me. Maybe you, know, you never underestimate someone who may not be right. of your same physical stature. But like, there's always a threat of physical violence when it comes to men being around men. It just is always there, whether it, it's never spoken. It just is. And with women, reputation destruction tends to be a tool it, used. I th- I think you're. I mean, just based on my based on my lived experience uh, some of their language but i think i think you're right and then when whenever there is an outlier like whenever i do see a man engaging in that kind of reputation destruction or whatever it's it always puts me off because it's like i think because i'm a gut level i view it as very uh cucky yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah sort of like beta like okay dude um Okay, so but, you think the two things that are different are cancel culture, reputation, destruction. Right. It, is it when you're saying that these these sort of the woke ideologies been around for a long time? I agree. I got I was indoctrinated in the late '90s at university. That's when I first encountered woke. All this stuff that's mainstream now, I was picking it up back then. 
uh, in my women's studies minor, the classes I was taking as part of that minor in the social sciences. And mm -hmm. so I picked it up in academia and I picked it up in my social circles because I tended to move in these sort of leftist progressive circles and it had already infiltrated a lot of that. Um, so do you think now that it's gone mainstream, it's it's not limited to the indie films, or it's not limited to the social sciences, it's everywhere, it's mainstream now. Do you yeah, think that makes do you think that's make sense though? That that's why the indie mm -hmm. films and the alternative culture and YouTube channels and stuff are the opposite? Because they're it's it's possible. There's definitely, you know, there's definitely been a, 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 a you've seen the pushback, the so-called the you know, welcome to the rebellion, right? Mm -hmm. Um uh, that aspect of it. But it, but it, it's just interesting because there's a documentary that's actually been in the works about Film Threat for a while. And the person that I started Film Threat with was very woke, right? Very woke, very much into like, you know, I'm when we started Film Threat, which was a zine in the in the 80s, when I was in film school, I was literally like a teenager, 18 at the time and cr created this like, oh, I'm gonna do a punk rock fanzine film threat, that sounds punk rock. And then met a guy named Andre Seawood who provided like, oh, I've got articles I wanna write, I wanna write. And But his things were practically like communist manifestos. And I was like, well, you're filling space with the articles. I'm gonna do cartoons and I'm gonna do things that are kind of funny and do like, almost like this is the precursor to memes, right? Where like mm -hmm. flyers and graphics and what. So I would do that stuff and I'd write an article or a review here and there. And, and but there was definitely a separation. We worked together for over, just over a year. And then it was just like, look, I want film threat to be fun. I want to leak subversive ideas, but I want to use humor to do that. Yeah. Which is kind of like what we do today with memes. It's like, I feel like you, you wait, you, there's a simple way where it's like, I'd read his articles and I'm like, I don't understand half of what you're saying. You know, you're you're actually using anti-disestablishmentarianism in a sentence, which was then at, at least my memory is the longest word, uh, the most letters. Um, but anyway, so so we separated ways like very early, like you know, after just over a year of working together, and I did film threat and just sort of pursued the filmmakers I liked. I got to interview John Waters early on, and John Waters, I like to say, changed my life when I was 16. I saw the movie Pink Flamingos. John Waters is a, uh, a, a gay filmmaker from Baltimore, Maryland, and he's not particularly woke. He just likes to make fun of everything. He makes yeah. fun of everything. He mocks satirical. I mean, he did, um, and the thing is this, he'll have, have a, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I have yeah. an anecdote with him. I, oh, I love well, a story. Uh, what I used to work, one of the comedians I managed when I worked in Hollywood or Los Angeles mm -hmm. was, uh, Margaret Cho. And yeah. every, every few years we would book her for a run of shows in Provincetown where she could work out new material. Are you familiar with Provincetown? I'm sure it's super yeah, gay yeah. and yeah. in vacation mm -hmm. spot. And, um, anyway, we were there one summer when John Waters also was doing a run of shows. And then somehow this night after each of their shows, we ended up meeting up with him and this group of people. And we rode, I just have this very surreal memory of, we rode bicycles. I was on a bicycle following John Waters on his bicycle. And we went to his beach house in Provincetown, which was just as odd and, and strangely decorated. Just so much fun, the, the way he had decorated. And anyway, I got to hang out in his beach house oh. one night. <laughs> I just, well, I'm jealous. Um, but yeah, no, I've known John Waters since the 80s. Oh, wow. Because every movie that comes out, I'll interview him for it, right? And <sighs> just, just was a hero because when I saw Pink Flamingo, like think of the time I grew up, the 80s. 
John Hughes movies, right? Are right. Like big. And then I went and saw a John Waters movie. I saw like Pink Flamingos. So and different. <laughs> yeah, my personal favorite is Female Trouble of his early films. Okay. And and like they're very alternative. I remember being a little bit scared seeing Pink Flamingos like I can't believe you can even make a movie like this cuz it's so it's so alt culture. And yeah. and I loved it. Like I just embraced it. He this is before I even started Film Thread. I like went down a rabbit hole of his movies and then of course David Lynch and among mm -hmm. others at the time were like these, you know, indie filmmakers. This is before the term independent film was a term. It didn't become a term until 1989 when the movie Sex, Lies, and Videotape, uh, which played, it was not called the Sundance Film, film Festival. It was called the United States Film Festival. And then Robert Redford, you know, he he renamed it the Sundance Film Festival and Sex, Lies, and Videotape played there. And he had given, it was supposed to be an exploitation movie and, and it won the Palm d'Or at Cannes and, and Harvey Weinstein at the time bought it and released it theatrically. And it, it changed everything and it created the independent film then became a category in the video store and then a growing genre. It was sort of like the bucket that they threw any movie that didn't fit a mainstream movie, trauma films, etc. cetera. So right. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm flexing all my nerd uh, Can I, indie film knowledge. So my, I love it. I love this stuff. So, so since we're talking about, we're on a little bit of a tangent, I'm just going to ask you then I loved David Lynch. He was, he was my yeah. favorite director for a long time. Who are your favorite directors? You've named a few. Well, yeah. Um, I would say, say Steven Soderbergh is among them because he's very much a DIY like filmmaker who's very much into realness of the performance, just <clears throat> capturing a reality and he's no BS. He also um, mailed me a letter once. This is in the nineties. Um, Steven Soderbergh sent me a letter <clears throat> and he said, I hate your magazine. I think it's <laughs> awful. Um, film threat. You know, how dare you, say this about so-and-so by the way find and close a check for all back issues and a subscription to film threat so i saved the letter uh but Wait, can you remind me i i know his name but i'm not that what i know i've seen his movies what are what are some of his big ones he did sex lies and videotape he did oceans uh oceans 11 he oh, did okay. he's done a lot of movies he did that movie uh haywire with gina carano um his movies are just grounded in a reality. So he's someone that I really admire. Richard Linklater, of course. You know, I thought Boyhood, Boyhood was incredible. Um, and Slacker and, you know, uh, God. I mean, there are too many to name. But, like, mm -hmm. I just, I have a lot of... In, it's filmmakers that they might not necessarily always be indie, but have an indie spirit. George Lucas, for example, is the world's most successful independent filmmaker. You know, he was, and I don't think we'll ever see another George Lucas again in our lifetime, just because Fox thought, you want to hear something funny? Fox wanted to rename the movie Star Wars because <laughs> their market research said that audiences thought the movie was about celebrities fighting. <laughs> and he stuck to his guns like, no, we're going to call it Star Wars. Uh, but, you know, he was really smart. He gave up like part of his director's salary to improve the movie and to hold on to the sequel and merchandising rights. And 20th Century Fox thought he was crazy. Now, of course, he's the most renowned and and, and successful indie filmmaker ever. But yeah, you know, I, you know, uh, Kubrick, of course, you know, your standard sort of classic directors, but also directors that people have 
never heard of. So, um, and I like, you know, like people like uh, uh, Brett Morgan, I think is a great documentary filmmaker. Um, I don't know him. Brett Morgan, he did a movie called The Kid Stays in the Picture. He did also a documentary about Kurt Cobain called The Montage of Heck, which is a, it's one of the best documentaries, best documentary ever about Nirvana and best documentary about a musical artist, in my opinion. He has a documentary coming out this fall about, I forget the name, but it's about David Bowie and it's an IMAX documentary. I can't wait to see it. Brett Morgan. Are you, excited? Are you so. excited about the um, Elvis, the new Elvis that's coming out? Yes, I'm seeing it. We'll see. You know, I, I wonder, I always wonder when a movie like that comes out, why are you making it now? Mm -hmm. what, are, what are we saying now about this person you know, in the present day, Elvis and his significance. Is it like, there can't be another Elvis? I mean, I look at music today and I'm like, okay, I don't need my uh, artists wearing strap-on dildos while they're performing for children. I just, yeah. I'm kind of not about that as a, you know, I like to think that I was a responsible parent. I would go into what I would call dad mode. And dad mm -hmm. mode was when I had to be uh and I, I don't mean this in, I don't mean this lightly. I mean, I think that it's important for young children to have a healthy fear of their parents. Mm -hmm. And I mean this in the sense that fear is a good motivator to want to do well, to impress your parents that you did a good, constantly handing out praise is awful. Uh, but like giving praise sparingly and then, you know, being stern and a disciplinarian, kids want those guidelines. Weird story. We were talking earlier about pain. Um, I, I recall uh, my then wife at the time, it's 11 p.m. at night on a weekday. And I'm like, what are you doing building a log cabin out of pay sticks with glue? What are you doing? And it's like, well, you know, our daughter has a project. It's due tomorrow. So I'm just going to do it for her. And I said, no, let her fail. Let her feel the pain. Because one thing that um, I'll tell you, uh, when a child says they have a stomach ache, what they mean is they didn't do their homework. Or there's something at school that they don't want to confront and they have a stomach ache, so they don't want to go to school because they would have to confront that pain. And I'm like, no, let her fail. Let her get the failing grade. It's elementary school. It doesn't matter. Let her feel the pain. And the lesson is work on your projects and get them done on time. That's the lesson she needs to learn. Yes. In order to learn that lesson, you got to feel pain. And so what we do is with raising kids, we protect them from pain. When I say kids, I mean current adults current young adults never got to experience pain. So pain is we, uh, pain is prescribed away with a pill. Pain mm. is like, I'm going to do this. The, 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 what I see on, you know, and I only see TikTok when it shows up on YouTube or people talking about TikTok videos, but I see this like, you know, celebrating mental illness. No, that's not something to be celebrated. That's something to power through. That's something to overcome so yeah. that you can, you know, be your authentic self, but you're not your authentic. No, if you've got nine personalities and you're on TikTok performing them for people for clicks, that's not, that's, that's not, your not. Self. that's you figuring out who you are. And look, uh, you know, look, I didn't figure out exactly who I was until my thirties. I think that's fairly normal. I had kids when I was in my twenties. Now I have kids who are in their twenties. So um, it's, it's possible to have good skin at this age. My recommendation is stay out of the sun and use a good moisturizer with UV protection. That's oh, just, I agree. That's my regimen. Stay out of the sun. Wear a hat. I'm surprised you're not, you have a hat on right now. I, not today. Yeah. I wear a lot of hats and I have a Love lot of hair. Hats. 
I have parasols. I don't care yes. if I look like an old Asian lady. Yes. I wear used <laughs> My girlfriend is, uh, well, she's an Asian lady and she, she's all about that. She's like, you just, you just, she said that I love her phrase. If I could just, um, my girlfriend sometimes doesn't like when I mention her on, on but she says there are no ugly women. There are only lazy women. Wow. So it's, you know, taking vitamins, take care of your body, drink a lot of water, stay out of the sun. If you're in the sun, use protection. Protection could be a parasol. It could be a hat. It could be, you know, UV protection in your moisturizer. It's very, it's not that hard. It's, you know, it's like uh, Bruce Campbell. I'm like, how do you look so good at your age? And Bruce Campbell's like, clean living, clean yeah. living. That's wow. what it is. So that's why I got water right here, actually. When I'm done so you were body. saying about uh, the new Elvis movie, you were saying whenever something comes out, you wonder about the timing of it and what it means. Right. And then you were starting to talk about like music today. Right. Well, it's like what I'm saying is what are we saying about Elvis? If you're any movie made in the present day is really it's it's a comment on what's happening in present day, in particular, if it's a movie from the past, for example, why do all the Roman epics from the 50s people speak in British accents? It doesn't make sense, right? Like, but what I'm saying is uh, there's there's a comment being made in movies today in the present day about Elvis as an artist that is maybe a comment about today. What I'm saying is it's going to be there in some form. So I always wonder, well, why are we making this musical spectacle now? Why are we doing this now? And my feeling is it's it's a comment about, maybe it's a comment about music today. I don't know. I haven't seen the film yet, yeah. but my suspicion is that, because this is, this is true for most of this stuff, there needs to be a reason, something in the zeitgeist of why we're commenting on the past now. Sometimes it's to right some wrongs, um, I think that, I mean, this has been an oft repeated theme, but it's racism is bad. It's like, okay, after the 1000th Hollywood movie saying this, we get that it's bad. Like mm -hmm. we know, like we understand it. Um, and I think that there are a lot of messaging that gets repeated. I'm just curious what this new Elvis movie is trying to say is what I'm I saying. I think you're right. Maybe I haven't seen it either. I, I am excited to see it. I think it might be about a, a, a commentary on me. I, I, I don't have a lot of love for music today. I hear a lot of it. One of my gig jobs right. involves me um, listening to a lot of uh, new music and it, I just found a lot of it terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so maybe some of it's nostalgia too. I know a lot of people are trying to see sort of seem to be trying to escape um, where we're at culturally by revisiting old. I'm doing this a lot, watching old films listening to old music, you know, I find myself putting on movies from the nineties or the eighties and rather than watching the new stuff. And so maybe it's sort of that, like, let's return to some of the culture from back then. Yeah. And it's not as if there wasn't messaging woven into a lot of Hollywood films from the past. Mm -hmm. It's always been there. It's always been there. What is new is the overtness and it used to be underneath the surface, you know, subtext was something that writers from the past were, great at doing my current day writers are terrible at subtext they're terrible they just put the messaging right on the surface and that's where you like average moviegoers notice it roll their eyes cringe i've heard like people just go Ugh, you know like certain yeah. moments in movies where people just go oh, i know what you're doing uh, one that stands out is in endgame when they, they had the sort of 
women can do it kind of scene <laughs> where they all get together and i just heard groans in the audience it's like <laughs> we know why you're doing this okay we get it but you know they forget that like marvel movies wouldn't be here today without a look female audiences love a shirtless chris evans you know or a shirtless benedict cumberbatch they're shirtless in every movie it's probably part of a contract you got to be shirtless chris pratt whoever you're going to be shirtless if you're a male character in a marvel movie um, right. And, and I think we've begun to, I've noticed this in a lot of films now is desexualize both men and women. Yes. Which I've, I've noticed this. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned this. Cause I was going to ask you, one of my questions yeah. was, I don't notice as many, uh, a lot of times movies, action movie, it didn't matter the genre, action, thriller, what some, there would usually be some sort of, uh, romantic subplot and, there, there would be two characters. Those were some of my favorite movies in dramas or comedies or what have you. I, I feel like there's a lot less of that now. Even in the new Star Wars, you know, at the end, she, what, saves the day. Her love interest turns out is a bad guy and he dies and then she goes home with her droid. Yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> let's not. The, the sequel trilogy was a complete disaster. I've, yeah, I, I, don't don't take me down that rabbit hole. I'm, I'm thankful okay. Star Wars hasn't come up. It's, but it's, but it's a touchstone because it's a movie that it's a movie and a franchise that everyone is familiar with. So it really is like a uh, a point where if you reference Star Wars, you're guaranteed we'll done that. Yeah, you're guaranteed. So it's a quick way to make a point, but it was was really in. 2018 that I began to notice like the messaging was there, but it didn't bother me because I've been going to Sundance and trust me, you, woke movies at Sunday. People complained Sundance is woke. Sundance was always woke. Most mm -hmm. film festivals were always progressive taking on, you know, whether it was gay marriage, whether it was legalizing marijuana. I mean, issue based social justice movies have always been indie films and always been championed at film festivals. Why? Because limited audience. All these movies had a limited audience, but were influential. What's new is all of these ideas being infused into mainstream movies in a way where like they almost have to say like, look, we mm -hmm. have our intersectional black feminist gay character in the new Jurassic Yay. World movie. Are you happy you have someone to identify with? <laughs> And on, on, on that question of identity, I find that um, simple-minded and stupid in the sense that uh, people say they want to see themselves in a movie. Well, I grew up, thanks to my mother, was just she was just like, don't go to the mall to see those John Hughes movies. Those movies are stupid. Go to the art house and see, you got to see movies from other countries, Spain, French films, British comedies, you know, Asian cinema. So I grew up with a very well-rounded, I say your, your media diet. It's important. It's important to have a, a, a broad range of foods you eat. It's mm -hmm. your media diet should be just as diverse. Right. And, and when I use the word diversity, I always think diversity of thought because yes. diversity by immutable characteristics, I think is lazy. That's why when people say this whole thing, well, I want to identify with the lead character who needs to look and, and be exactly like me. And I think that's lazy because the purpose of fiction, all fiction, novels, comic books, movies, TV shows, all fiction is about identifying with someone who isn't you, Yes, you know, is not you. And so you get to see the world through that person's eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I saw the, the, the world through the eyes of Scarlett O'Hara. When I watched Gone with the Wind when I was a kid, I'm seeing the world through her eyes and and how she's trying to, you know, get in the best place for herself and survive 
the war, right? Amongst all sorts of other drama. But like, when I look at like, I always just saw myself in the, in the care. That's the whole point of the protagonist. Yes. You know, it's not about that the protagonists look exactly like you. I think that's lazy, but I also think movie go audiences are lazy in the sense that you need to diversify your media diet. I've been watching Asian cinema since I was a kid, you know, and Korean films, uh, Japanese films, Toho monster movies, and all different types across the spectrum, right? Like, like um, there's just like so much out there. You need to stop being lazy about your movie going. If you only see mainstream Hollywood movies, I understand how people can come to these conclusions, but these younger audiences, they don't have the sense of film history. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and like, like, oh, it's, they, they celebrate some sort of new barrier being broken in a film. Like it's never happened before. And it's happened before and they, hundreds of times. It's, and they have no idea. That's why I say, yeah. chi you know, children and adult sized bodies. So, so to me, and it's also an opportunity to learn to see the world through someone else's eyes who isn't you. So I tend to gravitate toward that, that kind of thing, you know, do you like, see something similar going on with, um, as, as you know, there are the, the audiences now, or I guess some people in the audience were like, ah, oh, I need to see someone who I can identify with in these very trivial ways, like uh, gender and, and, and race and stuff. Do you see something similar happening with the actors like Tom Hanks, who are now saying, I have to be the exact same race and sexuality and sex of the person I'm playing? He, he was saying recently he would never do a gay role again because he's not gay. Um one, I think that's stupid. Um, I think that, I mean, look at how many cartoon animals. What is Mel Blanc supposed to not be a bunny to be able to play Bugs Bunny? I mean, you know, when it comes to voice acting, I mean, I think that it's limiting. I think what you do is you hire the best actor. Having said that, if there is a choice between, you know, an actor who maybe has more real world experience living that, I actually think that that can help. But you know why shouldn't a gay person play a straight person? It doesn't. It's 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 happened plenty of times through the history of film. Many mm -hmm. gay actors have played straight people. Mm -hmm. We need to we need to let this go. We need to let it go. And also, part of the reason Tom Hanks is is being cast is not necessarily because there are financial concerns. Um, it's not necessarily because of his talent. He's wildly talented actor. I'm not taking this away from Tom Hanks. I also think he's one of the short list of actors that understands the process. He understands the craft of film, which is why he's so successful. He's very good at picking projects to be involved with, very good at pairing himself with filmmakers who are craftspeople. Um, and he, um, but I, I think that he's bankable and that's part of the process. It's like, look, when I was at G4 TV, I was probably the least paid and there were women who did less work than I did who got paid more. Why? Probably because people want to tune in to see them more than me. I don't care. I think in entertainment, it's not equitable. Uh, mm -hmm. The um, uh, When it comes to, you know, sex work, adult film actors, the women get paid more than the men. It's just what the market pays. Yeah. It's like women's, bas women's basketball when they complain about like, well, yeah. our salary's not the same. It's like, yeah, it's, it, it's based on what the audiences want to see. It's like, it's not going to be exactly the same as what the men are getting. Exactly. Just so, like it is what it is. The world isn't fair and, and, and it will never be. And this sort of striving toward a, towards some utopia that's in the brains of, of, you know, uh, this, this generation is uh, it's harmful. 
it's mm -hmm. harmful. There, I think wrong lessons are being wrong lessons are being taught, and the wrong things are being celebrated that are only going to do damage. And I just see it just based on my parenting experience. And like I said, parenting, and I see it just as like kids that were not parented well, because you have children raising children. And, and I, I really think the secret to parenting is really just like, you do what you say you're going to do, meaning you give guidelines and you lay out the consequences. And if your child crosses the line, then the, you follow through on the consequences, whatever that punishment is. It's taking away privileges. It's grounding. It's, it's you're not going to get that thing. And you never give a kid a thing. A kid always works for it. If they're not necessarily working necessarily for the money, but you must do X to earn X. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. I'll give you an example. I can tell you for everyone in the audience that has a young child that you, they want to get out of diapers. I'm going to tell you how to how to potty train your kid in a week. Okay. This, this lesson was passed down to me, but it's instructive because it'll tell you like this applies to lots of things. So what you do is one, your child, and first of all, as a, 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 a dad who changed diapers, I don't like to change diapers. You know, I changed yeah. diapers. I didn't like doing it. It's messy. I, I, who, I don't want to do who it. Who does? <laughs> uh, yes, nobody does, right? I always describe it as unmaking a burrito. But anyways, um, so, so there's a point at which like your kid is like kind of interested. You want to be able to do things that go to barbecues or do family things and not have them have to change diapers or whatever. So once they're interested, you get a giant jar, clear jar. You fill it with Skittles or M&Ms or whatever. You put it in a very high shelf where it cannot be reached in the bathroom. You put the potty there. And every time they go in the potty, they get to pick one from the jar and they can see the jar. It's in sight. Now you're going to get bugged a lot of times with like a dribble in the potty, which is fine. In a week, they'll be, it's Pavlov's dog. They're going to be trained. Now, that's that also that applies to raising kids in other types of situations, right? Incentivizing, rewarding mm -hmm. consequences. That also applies to management. When you're managing a team, I had to learn how to manage a team. If we have 30 writers from all over there, I can't take, you know, credit for film threats, a thing I started. It's a group. It's a group of people from all over the world writing reviews. I'm sort of the face person for it. Um, and, but it's passionate writers and we have people within the film thread organization. We have an ardent New York feminist who writes for mm -hmm. film thread. We have a Christian conservative who writes for film thread. We have all types of people across the spectrum. I love that. We have a, a, a very flamboyantly gay, uh, writer who loves horror films, specifically mm -hmm. horror. Is it In Mike Carlo? I'm kidding. No, no. It's my friend, I'll tell you, it's my friend Norman Gidney. He does okay. a website called Horror Buzz and he writes for us and he'll write about gay cinema. Sometimes he doesn't write about gay cinema, whatever. What we do is when a movie comes in for review to film thread an indie movie, we look at like, well, who is kind of pre, who already kind of loves documentaries or who loves gay cinema, right? We just kind of get it to the person who kind of is predisposed to like it, but understand that arena, understand that type of movie. But it's a very, and we've got writers that are, woke that I would consider woke, but we are not infected by a sense of activism because we review movies. I like to say film thread is politically agnostic. Mm. We are not film thread is not, not like championing any particular political ideology. That's and what it I should see, be. 
Yeah, it should be. Yeah. But I look at almost all the media out there. I'm not going to name names, but almost all the media that covers the same stuff I do. And they're politically aligned. Hence what happened to Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? It was shunned by the critical community. I mean, what do you look if you despise the ideology so much? Why not write a bad review of the film so it has a rot, bad Rotten Tomatoes score? That's certainly within a critic's power to destroy a movie, and it just shows how weak-willed the 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 weak-willed the people in that position are. And I, I like to say that most of the media, entertainment media in Hollywood, is uh, it's controlled by publicists who kind of like put out the narrative. It's no different than your MSNBC or CNN. There's a narrative put out by Hollywood publicists about how entertainment is to be covered. And what's broken that narrative are people like Nerd Roddick, Ryan Cannell, people like yourself, people like Comics Division, um, as from Heels versus Babyface, Geeks and Gamers crew, like that crew, amongst others, has said, we're not going to go with what Hollywood is generally saying. We're going to have our own opinion about something. And sometimes Hollywood comes out and people love it and champion it, like the Northmen or or yeah. you know, Top Gun, and then sometimes they don't. But I really noticed it in 2018 where this these this ideology was bubbling mainstream. It was in 2018 when I noticed The Last Jedi came out, and uh, I I hated that first Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. I thought it was terrible. I thought Han Solo. I did a video for another channel, Film Courage, where I talk about the deaths of legacy characters and how they should be treated respectfully. Um, and I compared it to the death of Spock in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I'm going down a nerd rabbit hole. Please stick with That's me. okay. I'm with you. But but when Last Jedi came out, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of like the direction that this is going. I, and I saw that they had made, they had basically made Luke into this weak character. But I thought that was a setup for him to come back because the next movie is called The Rise of Skywalker. He's mm -hmm. It's going to be a Christ-like tale where he's going to go to the Jedi spirit realm, come back and wreak havoc, right? Like, right. I thought it was a setup because you don't want it's boring to watch a character win all the time. Yeah. This is the the sort of so when you see a character lose like in the first Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, literally, you know, uh Dr. Jones loses everything. He doesn't even win at the end. The villains win, the Nazis win, they get the ark, he's tied up to a pole. Then it's given mm -hmm. away to the FBI to be like it's literally a movie where the lead, the protagonist loses the entire movie. That's exciting to watch because yeah. that's how you grow. Pain is how you grow. Loss is how you learn, like all these things. And, and in the audience, it's building that desire to see the comeback. Yes. Yeah. See the like comeuppance. Like that's why you need to see the movie RRR, please. And okay. you'll see like it's very spiritual film. I would love to hear what you think of that film. I think, I think you and your husband would love it actually. Um, cool. And it's on Netflix, RRR. So uh, but like, I thought that was a setup, but then when I began to notice was, cause I watched Gary, I watched Eric July. I would watch like, I love nerd stuff. So I'm watching them on YouTube and whatnot. And I'm like, they were just attacked for their opinions. And I'm like, but half the thing, half of what I enjoy is an opinion that is counter to my own. It's like, how do I learn something? Sometimes you can convince me. Sometimes you can't, but like, I'm going to argue my point. And when I see FNT, FNT Friday Night Tights reminded me of, oh, that's the conversations we would have at comic book stores. Those are the conversations we'd have at video stores. We would just yell at each other, stalwarts in our opinion. This is the best Paul Thomas Anderson movie or yes. whatever. This is the, like the argument, that is the thing. And when I began to see them attacked, 
attacked in ways that I didn't feel were fair because I saw these guys as a bunch of dudes who have a sense of humor about themselves. And that mm -hmm. to me, I think that's the overriding thing, even though at Film Threat, everyone is very different. It's this eclectic group of misfits, movie misfits. The one thing everyone who sticks around Film Threat for years is you have to have a sense of humor about yourself. Of course. You have to if be able to take a joke. Yeah. I take my work seriously. I don't take myself seriously. I make jokes about myself. We, we, we get along and there's been, there hasn't been, even though there are woke, we have woke writers at Film Threat. You're going to read stuff on Film Threat that is from a woke perspective, which I believe needs to be represented along with, say, a black conservative who's giving a view of a movie, say, like Uncle Tom, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, another movie that didn't get a lot of play, a movie I would recommend is called The Boys in Red Hats, which is about the Covington kids. Oh, I didn't uh, see that one. I saw Uncle Tom, The Boys in Red Hats. Boys in Red Hats. I recommend you watch, if you want a bunch of movie recommendations, I do an annual, you know, I was so annoyed with the Oscars and the Spirit Awards and how they tend to only award one type of movie. We started our own award show. We've done it now for four years in a row. It's called Award This. And it's on my Film Threat YouTube channel. Okay. So a lot of, if you see it, we give awards to these movies. In fact, the director of uh, The Boys in Red Hats won an award at that shut-in the filmmakers behind Shut In won an award, but also there are movies that are gay and woke and they want awards too. I'm trying to, this is the thing that, and this is where I began to recognize this problem in 2018. They're attacking Gary from Nerdrotic just for having an opinion. Mm -hmm. He didn't like, and he had very good reasons for liking Last Jedi. And I've since ch changed my opinion about it. Like, oh, I see it now. And I see it now because I was kind of viewing it through the lens of the story's not done yet. The story's not done yet. I, I believe in Disney. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to land the plane. They're going to stick the landing, so to speak. And they're going to pay all of this garbage off. It's going to pay off to something big. Well, it didn't. And But what I saw was the attacks that Eric July, all those, that whole FNT group, like, was being attacked. And I couldn't believe it. And even, like, Jeremy from The Quartering, I invited him to be on a panel at San Diego Comic-Con. I just assumed, like, I didn't realize there was a divide in ideas where people couldn't talk to each other or felt physically threatened. And I invited Jeremy from the quartering, like, Hey man, I'm doing a panel called the last last Jedi debate. I'm going to have people who hate the movie and people who love the movie. I'll be the moderator, join my panel. And he was like, he had misgivings about attending mm. and just, and, and for legitimate reasons, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to speak for him. Um, but I didn't, I didn't realize like, oh, there's a real divide in fandom. I understand divides in politics. That's just normal, right? I didn't right. realize it was so deep seated. And then when I began to see people being vilified for having different opinions about name the thing, you're an evil person because you like yeah. a movie, dislike or dislike a movie or a piece of media. Like, I don't get it. Like not being able to have these conversations like that, that, that is irksome to me. So you know, part of a, a, a thread of a documentary I'm working on now called Attack of the Doc is at least revealing like, and it's 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 about this movie Attack of the Show, and which started in 2005, and sort of like a time before all this stuff. Like, how did we get here? How did we become so divided um, when we can't even agree on a movie or like liking or disliking a character in a movie makes you a racist? Racist is a term that when I heard that, like someone's a racist, like, oh my God, like someone's a racist. Like I grew up in Michigan where at the time when I was in college, my girlfriend happened to be black. Mm -hmm. um, and we just were both nerds. We both like Batman, 
right? We're both into Batman comics, nerdies. We're into like new wave music, like going to concerts, whatever. And like I experience real racism. Like I'm talking about skinheads with swastika tattoos, like the real racism, not someone not liking a TV show. I think that's pretty, that's a, they've lowered the bar for what racism is or any of this stuff. They and have. So, and, and they've, they've that, made a mockery out of, they, they belittle yeah. actual racism. It's like, they don't, they don't even care because it's the boy who cried wolf because now they use that word so much that people are less likely to take it seriously when they're talking. About, now you have to say things like I'm talking about real racism. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You have to actually <laughs> real racism, not like, and, and, and it's, the word has been diluted. There is no, it's, and it's, I don't think we understand the damage that's been done by that. And that word should not be thrown around lightly. And now it's being used to deplatform people to diminish voices or to reputation destruction. It's used, it's used in that way. And I think, you know, we've, you know, this is, I, I, I tweeted recently that it's like jokes has devolved into um, explaining comedy to stupid people. Like that's, that's what it's devolved into. Cause I watched like these comedy specials, including like Ricky Gervais most recent comedy special where he's actually explaining the joke while telling the joke, Joe Rogan's recent comedy special. He did the same thing. And when I say recent, it was, I think it was a couple of years ago, but I'm, I'm looking at it going like, do we have to do this now? This is what comedy is. And, and I feel like a lot of it is not standing up to people who really need to be stood up to or just say, no, yeah. you're stupid. No, I've noticed that, you know, film thread, it's like there's this very pandering and condescending thing that at least I felt it was condescending. It's called Female Filmmaker Friday. Okay. And what you would do is on Fridays, you would use the hashtag Female Filmmaker Friday and you would like talk about female movies. And I'm like, on I Twitter? think that's, that's Twitter thing. I think I may have participated in this when I was at SJW. How long has this hashtag been around? It's been around a while. And can I just <laughs> say, when I first saw it, I think it's stupid. Can yeah, I tell you yeah. why I think it's stupid? Because if we cover a, a filmmaker who happens to be a woman, that's called a Tuesday at Film Threat. Yes. It's just, if we if we cover a filmmaker who's who's not white, that's just a Monday. It's like uh, these things... Them in you put them in a ghetto when you do that. It's like, um, yes. my, my husband's a musician and he was, he was talking about this where someone, I can't remember the context, but someone had said, um, you know, she's a great female drummer. And he's like, no, she's a great drummer. Like, stop saying that. Like it's a compliment that she's a great female. drummer. No, she's a great drummer. Right. And you think you're doing something good. Cause hey, I'm lifting up female drummers. No, you're not. You're putting in her in some box where she's defined by her sex instead of by just being a great drummer. Well, you know? real real inclusion is just not calling attention to it. It's just everyday life. And I used to yeah. notice when I would go to film festivals in the 90s, they'd always have, it's the Women Filmmakers Showcase. And yeah. it would be in a smaller venue at an odd time and nobody would attend. And I'm like, why don't you just take these movies, take the best of these movies and just put them in the normal film festival or there'd be the black filmmaker showcase. And I was like, why are they doing this? Like, I always despised that because I thought it was pandering. I thought, and it just, you know, I guess I could use the word othering, whatever, but I just, but I, I, I think yeah. that that's not my job with film thread. It's like, this is just, these are just movies. We're just yeah. going to cover them. And oftentimes when a movie is submitted to us for review, we don't know who made it or what their ethnicity is because it doesn't matter. And, and we're not going to also, conversely, we're not going to give a, a film a better review 
or a more favorable review because it's made by a certain type of person. That's yeah. that's not good either. That's right. like um, with the recent Supreme Court uh, Justice uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Like that was like by stating up front what you were trying to do. He just said, I'm going to look for the best person. And it just happened to be her. That would have been awesome. But yes. by doing that, she she will always be viewed as differently in that way. It's well, I yeah. think that I mean, we don't need to go down a Biden rabbit hole. Um, no, but uh, it's the same phenomenon. Yes, it is actually racist and sexist to say I'm going to pick the best black woman. Like, right. Just pick the best person. And yeah. then and then that doesn't follow them around. And and by the way, if I were offered something like that after somebody said they're going to pick the best woman and then they offered it to me, I'd be like, no, thank you. Because now everyone thinks I got it because of my sex. Yeah, this is oh. this isn't working. I mean, corporate America is just starting to wake up to this. You've seen the problems that have happened within Disney. You've seen, um, you know, we we've seen this start to play out. And I do believe the pendulum is just it's 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 here and it's just maybe starting to go back. Maybe I have it the other way. Maybe go this yeah. way. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying that I believe that the pendulum. It, people are starting to wake up to that. But it was 2018 when I saw all of these YouTubers vilified for having an opinion because it didn't necessarily line up. And I began to open my eyes and we had this last, last Jedi debate at San Diego Comic-Con. And I just brought people who love the movie and people who dislike the movie. And I just wanted them to talk to each other because I couldn't believe that people were being treated. And then I like kind of opened my eyes like, oh, I see some of the points that the people who dislike the movie, I, I understand what they're trying to say. Like, I get it now. But I also think like, just wait until this next movie comes out. It's going to solve everything. Of course, I was I was wrong <laughs> and I'm, I'm willing to admit it. But um, we live in a weird time of people falling in line as somehow being virtuous or the pylons that happen on social media. I think there's a there have been several attempts to uh, uh, to cancel me, which I find humorous. Um, what are what are some of them? I know I know I don't know how long I have you, but. Oh, yeah. Well, just yeah. Well, yeah. Like whatever, whenever you want to wrap up. But it's but like a, a funny story. It was because uh, I've been part of going to Comic Cons for a long time. I've been going to. God, San Diego Comic Con since 1989. I always do panels. The panels usually have like a fun theme or whatever. So I was doing this panel called Fanfic Theater. Okay. So Fanfic Theater was we would get um, the description of the panel was like we find crazy fan fiction on the internet and then it's performed out loud out loud by comedians and this actors. Sounds so fun. Yeah, so we would get friends of mine who are comedians and actors. I'd invite them on. And then what we do is we bring up people from the audience, too. And I have printouts of the fanfic. Well, what the audience didn't know, that we wrote the fanfic. So, like, we were writing it because fanfic is all pretty much the same. It's all, like, it's all fiction where, you know, it's characters in, like, you know, Harry and, and Ron Weasley, and they end up having sex. It's very homoerotic. It's always the same. It's I always the same. Well, so and I, some of it's not. I know that most of it's homoerotic, but some of it's not. Some of it's straight. Right. I used to read um, Guilty Confession. I used to read Lost Fanfic. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, that's, I mean, look, it's fun. I, I discovered fanfic like back in the 80s about Kirk and Spock, and we did an article about it okay. in an old issue of Film Threat yeah, when yeah. it was in print. But like, so, so we would write this fanfic and it was over the top and ridiculous. It was like a parody of fanfic. One of the ones I wrote was called Jurassic Pratt. And it was all the <laughs> characters. Someone had cloned every character Chris Pratt ever played and they have a gay orgy. Uh, and it's <laughs> nothing is ever overtly sexual. It's all like, 
you know, it's it, it's all spoken. You don't ever use dirty words in fanfic. Right. You use like, you know, you use another word for something is peach shaped bottom, you know, like yeah. it's all like it's it's all euphemisms. So, and, yeah, yeah, euphemisms. So I wrote about it. So we wrote the description of the panel. I'm like, ah, it's it was like Adrian Curry was on the panel, which is you should interview Adrian Curry. She was the first, she was on America's Next Top Model. She was the first one. Okay. And um, just look up Adrian Curry. She would do it. Other friends of mine were comedians like Tommy Bechtel, Yoshi Obayashi, um, who's a great comedian. You should look him up. He's amazing. Um, so I just get them and we get like friends of mine are actors. That, then you bring up a couple people from the audience. They're kind of shy. And it's the awkwardness that makes it fun. We fill a room and it was packed. So apparently a, a fanfic group on Tumblr found the description in the panel guide of, I think it was WonderCon and posted it there and all this hate, they piled on me like, and it was literally maybe 100 young girls, I'm going to guess, mm -hmm. based on the anime avatars that were just piling on, like, how dare you do this? Well, WonderCon paid attention. They're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I mean, you know, these people are not really a threat yeah. in real life, right? Yeah. None of them are actually attending WonderCon. Well, the Hollywood Reporter did a story about it. Comic-Con had to issue a press release. It became this scandal. This is in 2015. You can just look it up. Wow, um, okay. You can look up my name, fanfic, WonderCon, and this, and there's a story about it. And, you know, it was an attempt to cancel me. Like, how dare you take our fanfic that we wrote and read it? They didn't understand. I had to explain, like, we actually wrote the fanfic. This is a fun thing we do. But it's taken all the fun out of these conventions where now they're like, you know, they're afraid to do any panel that might offend anybody. What if we and offend someone? I, yeah. It's we're, we're really living now in this climate of fear and I don't care. I reached that point in 2018 because I was standoffish. Like, this is like, I'll never work in the corporate world again. Like, I just, uh, I'm too old and I just don't fit the type. And right? you have and the I, freedom to do what you want. Well, yes. So so now it's just like, look, I'm going to, I decided then I'm like, look, I've, Film Thread has been like this side gig that I did and like led to other work, writing books, doing other, you know, creating opportunities for myself. I've produced movies and whatnot. So like, uh, I just thought like, I just, I got to make this a big thing. So it was 2018 and that sort of awakening and seeing, and I think like around the same time, if I recall correctly, that was like around when you began to kind of wake up around that time. Yeah. Mine was like, it started in 2016, but it was a slow process. So, right. Yeah. 16, yeah. I mean, I think you were definitely more embedded in the SJW stuff. I was like, well, these are like, you know, like these are the types of movies that play Sundance. I always saw the woke movies as like, those are Sundance movies and almost nobody watches those. And now I'm like, oh, well, those ideas are now in big movies. Yes. And so it's like, and the audience is pushing back. I mean, you see the failure of, of Buzz Lightyear, the Lightyear movie. I think that that failure, that not performing, I think that's, I think it says something. Audiences don't like it. They don't like it. Make a different, make yeah. a small movie, make a small Indian, create a different label, right? Yeah. And do it, not a $200 million movie, make a $2 million movie. I think it'd be really successful, the math, you know? There's no reason that those ideas can't exist or that marketplace. Although um, my friends who are gay, who happen to be gay or lesbian, they always say like, oh, gay movies can be so annoying because there's such a sameness about them. There's mm -hmm. such a victim quality to them they just sort of roll their eyes just sort like of a, uh, a preachiness a preachiness that like we don't need it just tell the story of two people it doesn't need to be you know it, it does you know 
And yeah. here's your heavy handed message. Let exactly. me ask you, let me ask you, uh, Chris, and then, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Um, I think because I can hear they want to start doing construction. Oh, the there you go. Construction. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, so what do you, where, where do you see things headed? This is something I like to ask people just Ooh. to get a range of perspectives. Where do you see things headed both in film and in the culture at large? I think it's, I think it's going to change, but slowly. I think what's going to happen is well, one, it's like Hollywood already moves at a glacial pace. That's just, everyone uses that term. It's a glacial pace. So it's like taking a battleship and doing a 180. You can't mm. do it. It's going to take a long. So we're looking at five years, I think more of this, because you there are things that were greenlit two years ago that haven't come out yet, or things that yep. were, are in development that haven't come out. But I think there's now an awareness and an awakening. And I, I have a friend of mine who's a working screenwriter who's seen a lot of this stuff change. And I think that there's a realization that maybe we shouldn't have hired people just for certain reasons, just to fill a quota who are inexperienced. There needs to be more mentoring, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're, there needs to be uh, more of an awareness that audiences are pushing back on it. Look, number one movie of the year is Top Gun Maverick. There's nothing, there's nothing overtly, I don't even think that movie is necessarily overtly political, right? It's an adventure. It's a hero story. It's, it's also a redemption tale. It's, I, I, I think, I, I think Tom Cruise is underestimated as an artist. I think he always thinks about the audience. He's one of the, so I do think it's just going to take a long time. It's going to take more hits like Top Gun, more failures like Lightyear and more failures for them to notice this. I think that certain brands are unsavable, mm -hmm. like Star Wars and Marvel. I think the damage is done. And I, I don't think that you can save those brands. And I've checked out after the rise of Skywalker. I just don't really care. Sure. The Mandalorians. I, so I really think it's going to be five years of this in that time period. There's an opportunity. And the opportunity is this, what the daily wire, that's, that's an opportunity. I'd like to see the daily wire, not just put their movies out on their platform, but put them out commercially. I mean, what is a woman yes. should, should have played in theaters. Yeah. Should have played in the publicity from that alone. It should have been available on voodoo maybe. And this is the thing. And I'm just saying this, maybe someone from the daily wire watches this, who knows yeah. the idea can get back to them. Look, in order for those ideas to really take hold, or at least the discussion to take hold. People fear even having the discussion. And, and this is like, by the way, I had an experience where my son, a teacher wanted to put my son on Ritalin because he was inconvenient in the classroom. And I'm like, you're not putting my son on drugs. I can't imagine if what's happening today was in my kid's school because yeah. they wouldn't have been there. Like, and I think that the, the fury that, and the, what's going to be unleashed politically, I think the political landscape is going to change quicker than the entertainment landscape. And the reason is there's a, um, there's a very popular t-shirt that Beto wore. And I'd like to see a version of that t-shirt that just says, don't mess with my kids. Mm -hmm. That is a message I think that's going to resonate. Yes. And whatnot. But uh, I, I think that it's going, it's with entertainment is going to take longer to change because it's economic. You've seen like, even the new head of CNN is like, we want to get rid of the people that are overtly one-sided. Let's try to be more, the CNN was always the middle of the road, right? It was mm -hmm. always like, you know, the center. And that's, I would describe my politics as center, you know? So it's interesting. The last show I, the last show I sold before I left entertainment was uh it's a cnn show and it's overtly woke and it's still in the air oh is that the camille uh yeah yeah oh my god the united I saw, states of america 
Ooh, I, I saw a clip from that. I've never watched the show, but I saw a clip from that. Uh, that was about Father's Day that was horrifying. Um, I'm not surprised. I haven't seen that clip. But, um, you know, when I was leaving Woke, mm -hmm. I knew a lot of people who were going further into it. I think these acceleration points in culture, when it when it really ramps up and like, becomes a little more mainstream each time, that's when there's an opportunity for people to open their eyes or to close them and stick their head in the sand and go further in, double down, you know? Yeah. So I think that shows a big double down, <laughs> double down parade. But it but. doesn't, it's, it's not, it's not resonating on a mainstream level. And to me, it's mm -hmm. like, like I said earlier, it's like the Sundance movies appeal to a small audience. I think wokeness appeals to a small audience. It's a fraction of the audience. And I think that Hollywood is waking up to this. I think Hollywood's filled with a lot of guilt because let's be honest, um, most people that are in the power positions in Hollywood are are, are white people yeah. and they feel guilty and they yeah. may not have had like, I, you know, not everyone in my family is white. I have a, I have a stepsister who happens to be black and a stepbrother who also happens to be black. And, and like, I kind of just had an awareness at a young age. That's why I say become aware was sort of our mantra when I was in in like college was like, oh, you just become aware of this stuff. You don't allow it to affect your decisions, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, and I, I feel that these, a lot of guilty white people in these power positions hiring woke people as a way to absolve themselves of some yes. sort of guilt. And then they're influenced by these assistants who are involved in green lighting the wrong projects or infusing it. Well, you got to have this happen in the movie. And like they're weak willed, whether it's someone like a Kevin Feige or, or um, uh, whatever the guy's uh, the guy who's the head of Disney now, like these people are weak and they're like, all right, fine. I'll give you that one win. And it ends up being a too many cooks. It ruins it. You need someone strong, like a Tom Cruise or a Jerry Bruckheimer to say, no, nah, we're not doing that. Now nah, this movie's for everybody. Uh, if, if you identify yeah. with someone cool, if not, whatever, it's also, you know, what? it's going to be sexy shirtless men on a beach playing football <laughs> covered in yes. oil. It's going to be sexy. Yeah. Get over the it. Women are going to be sexy too. They're going to be heels and mini skirts. <laughs> you know, Jennifer Conley is freaking sexy. Oh my God, like at her <laughs> age, I mean, I love that she's allowed herself to just age naturally. She looks beautiful. She's stunning. Like more of that. Like that's, yeah. so yeah, so I really think we're five years away from seeing any significant change in Hollywood, but it's going to be more and more, more and more win, more and more successful movies and then movies flopping. Politics, uh, wait to the fall. Wait until the fall. I think I think the, the beast that's been awakened is, parents and finally you know people just saying no we don't want this no nope, we don't want it we don't want this stuff in our schools no nope, stop it and it's going to be firing people it's going to be firing people and i think that you're looking at um maybe as related to some of these kids that have gone through you know what i'm talking about mm -hmm. um i think you're yeah. going to see lawsuits you are i think you're going to be huge lawsuits over this and um i feel i feel for the children that have fallen down this, this trendy, this trend, yeah. I feel for them. I just, my heart goes out to them. And I think that uh, the, my one big complaint about Matt Welch's documentary, I'll end on this. I know you got mm. your people there. Uh, where are the parents? There needs to be an entire documentary about the parents. Yes. None of it's this what, would happen without being without the parents. It's everything you talked about. And I think a lot of it goes back to that. It's, it's responsible parenting. Yep. And we, the parents haven't learned to be parents, which is you got to be tough. You got to, this is the, you, you see a kid, 
your screen is not the babysitter. I see that a lot. I see that like I just the screen. Now I don't have to pay attention to my kid. I can say I can't tell you how much I've seen in my own neighborhood a, a child, young child in a stroller with a screen and the parent with the screen. It's disgusting. So addiction. addiction. Anyway, but I'm hopeful. Well, I'm hopeful that indie film, indie film is my passion. Indie film is gonna flip, indie film is gonna be making the kind of movies Hollywood used to make, and other countries yeah. like India are making movies that Hollywood used to make with this movie RRR and Carrie. Uh, God, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you because I'm such a fan. I love talking to you for years. We, well, we have to do um, this again. We and, will. And um, tell people where they can find you. We're going to put all this below and you guys can find in the description, but just where they can find you online. We're real easy. I am film threat on everything. My website is filmthreat.com. You can go there and it's real easy if you want to reach out to me for any reason. And I recommend you read it every day, three to five reviews. I am also personally that Chris Gore. Uh, you'll find me on Instagram and socials. I don't tweet very much, but when I do, it's probably about Cinnabon. Please Maybe do not. that Cinnabon tweet. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. <Bye. laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you guys Great. for hanging out with us. Uh, don't forget to hit like, subscribe if you like the video or hit dislike. I can't see it anymore if you dislike it. YouTube removed that. So feel free to hit it. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. Bye.